I want to just reiterate a little bit first on the begin the very beginning. We start in the creation stories with no evil, no violence, and no death. Those are the three things that we begin with. And it's important to establish that theologically. That is, before sin enters this world, this is who God is. He is all good. Uh, The the Genesis 1 refrain, and and behold, it was very good. And he saw what he created, and behold, it was very good. Evil is introduced in chapter 2, in the second story of creation, when uh, God tells the man... Do not eat of the fruit of the tree which is in the midst of the garden because in the day they eat of it they shall surely die. That tree's name is the tree of knowledge of good and evil. Which would suggest since you have only life up to this point and now you have the introduction of death that death is evil. Now we need to establish those points before we start talking about the atonement. Because how we see God in creation has a great effect on how we see him in the atonement. So, then we, we talked several weeks ago about what went wrong. And we talked about the inferred messages that the serpent gave Adam and Eve about God's character. That he is arbitrary, that he is selfish, that uh, he has lied when he said... Uh, you will surely die. Sin won't hurt you. Uh, Taking the fruit won't hurt you. That last one, though, that he lied, is the most devastating deception that human beings can believe. If if you believe, if, if a child grows up believing that running in front of cars is not a problem, it won't hurt you. What does that do to the child's sense of reality? Especially if if he grows up thinking there is no cause and effect relationships. It's all arbitrary, and therefore uh, I can do anything I want and not there, there's no consequences. Uh, that's, that's a scary world to live in, where we start believing everything is artificial and there are no consequences to what we do. Uh, the way God has created the universe has, has rests upon cause and effect relationships and consequences to violations of the lo- principles and the laws that he created. So this is very important because not only does it look like there's no cause and effect relationship and you can do anything, you can sin with impunity and, and there's no results. It looks as though God can't be foundationally can't be trusted because he didn't tell the truth about the nature and consequences of sin how is God to deal with that Uh, if he's an arbitrary God he simply says look I'm telling you the truth and that's it and whack you're dead the problem with that is that Ellen White explains that if God had done that in the very beginning it would not have been clear to the angels and the onlooking universe and he could have done it with Satan and his followers, that it would not have been clear to them that it was sin that caused death. 
this was the inevitable result of sin. It would have looked as though God arbitrarily killed them. Well, he could kill anyone, good or bad, righteous or unrighteous, if that's the case. It isn't sin anymore that leads to death, it's God. And therefore, the whole arena changes because the problem then is getting good in good with God so he doesn't kill you uh, rather than dealing with sin that leads to death. So, I suggested, I think a couple of weeks ago, or more, time is flying by, that that is why God gives the sacrificial system. Uh, we're, we're assuming that he, he started the sacrificial system, which means that the first time Adam and Eve ever see death is when they take the life of the animal. He did this as an intermediary measure to graphically show sin leads to death. Your sin, particularly, is going to lead to the death of an innocent creature, i.e. Jesus. So that's what I'd like to suggest as far as we have gotten. So um, I would like you to go to Genesis 4. You're going to hear an awful lot about Cain today if you go to church. Because the pastor's sermon is on Cain. Uh, let's see, who shall we have first? Uh, Roll, you're closest to the microphone. Why don't you grab it? These are these are recorded. Oh, okay. <laughs> Just so you know. <laughs> I don't want to be... <laughs> Four, nine? Uh, um, let's, let's see. Uh, so Genesis 4... Nine. We're doing a rerun from last week because I've gotten additional understanding. Want me to read it? Yes. Um, yeah, read verses 9 and 10. 9 and 10. Okay. Um, then the Lord said to Cain, Where is Abel your brother? He said, I do not know. I am, am I my brother's keeper? And he said, What have you done? The voice of your brother's blood cries out to me from the ground. Okay. Maybe go ahead and read verse 11, uh, verses 11 to 12. Okay. So now you are cursed from the earth, which has opened its mouth to receive your brother's blood from your hand. When you till the ground, it shall no longer yield its strength to you. You fugitive and you vagabond, you shall be on the earth. Okay. So what is the blood crying out from the ground from last week? You probably remember this. crying out vengeance vengeance where does the vengeance come from and I didn't I didn't explain this last week so this is a new question where did the vengeance come from I'm cautious to say that does it come from God well that's a good question does it come from God Uh, in this case I don't think so because he's protected from other people with the mark right that's key to the story if if it cried out for vengeance from God God should be taking revenge by killing Cain I want you to look at verses 11 and 12 again now you are under a curse and driven from the ground which opened its mouth to receive your brother's blood from your hand when you work the ground It will no longer yield its crops for you. 
you will be a restless wanderer on the earth. What is doing the crying out? The blood is crying out, but there's something more involved. The earth? The earth, the ground. And I believe, I didn't bring my Hebrew Bible, but I believe the word here is Adma rather than Eretz. Now, it might be Eretz. In other places, it is Eretz because they are used interchangeably. But Adma means the soil. Adma is the soil from which the Adam, man, is taken. Which means the very source of our flesh is, is crying out for retaliation revenge. Now, of course, we don't take this literally and say, okay, the ground, <laughs> ground is crying out. Um, but what I think is being expressed here in principle is that the whole, the whole natural world is set on its ears, so to speak because of this bloodshed and, and shedding blood in the ground and, and the rejection of life that it means. God never intended that anyone kill another person. Never. This is not God's choice. This is human choice. So, those of you who have heard me talk about the minor major voice. This to me, this story is God's minor voice, the voice of his preferred will in this first murder. Because as Jonathan put it, he preserves the life of the first murder. He does not allow him to have vengeance. That comes first. What happens because of that, if you go down to the story, uh, verses 19 and um, uh, actually verse 23, 23 and 24. Uh, Brianna, would you read those, please? Then Lamech said to his wife, Ada, Zillah, and hear my voice. Wives of Lamech, listen to my speech. For I have killed the man for wounding me, even a young man for hurting me. This king shall be avenged sevenfold. Then Lamech, seventy, sevenfold. So he, he, where do we get avenge? That word avenge there. Where do we get that? From God or from humans? Human. Human beings. This idea of avenging blood, avenging pain, avenging injury, avenging murder comes from human beings. Human beings invent that. It, it, it's a sinful human reaction to want revenge to want to avenge other, our, our injuries on other people now let's follow the story as it goes through and then we'll unpack it what is, the, what is it that happens next well chapter 5 is a genealogy so let's skip chapter 5 <laughs> go to chapter 6 what happens next Noah, flood. We talk about Noah and the flood. What happens before Noah and the flood? The earth's wickedness. 
the earth becomes wicked. How uh, can you describe that wickedness for me and use the mind? Everyone like they had cold hearts, just killing each other, and like talked about like, the blood running everywhere. Okay, the earth became filled with violence, and every it says every inclination. The word is every formation. It's the same word that God that is used in Genesis two to describe God molding human beings, yatsar, to mold, to to form, and. Um, it's every formation of the thoughts of the heart are only evil continually. It means if you put all the pieces together, they couldn't think a nonviolent thought that's that full of violence. So this is, this is the price God pays for saying unequivocally in chapters, chapter 4, I do not like violence. I will not execute Cain. I will not take revenge on him. I know the ground is crying to me for, for, for revenge, but I will not take it. I will even protect him from it. Uh, this is the price God pays. And uh, about a thousand years later, we have an extremely violent world because the violence has gone unchecked. So let's go to chapter 8. And... We're going to take turns reading. Um, Jonathan, would you read verses 15 to 17? And then uh, Yang? Zhang. Zhang, sorry. Got your name wrong. Uh, Zhang, would you read verses 18? Uh, and 19. And then Tara, would you read verses 20? One, wait a minute, 20 and 21. Then God said to Noah, Come out of the ark, you and your wife and your sons and their wives. Bring out every kind of living creature that is with you, the birds, the animals, and all the creatures that move along the ground, so that they may multiply on the earth and be fruitful and increase in number on it. And Noah went forth and his sons and his wife and his sons' wives with him. Every beast, every creeping thing, and every fowl, and whatsoever creep um, upon the earth, uh, after their kinds, went forth out of the ark. Then Noah built an altar to the Lord, and taking some of all clean animals and clean birds, he sacrificed burnt offerings on it. The Lord smelled the pleasing aroma and said in his heart, Never again will I curse the ground because of humans, even though every inclination of the human heart is evil from childhood. And never again will I destroy all living creatures as I have done. Okay, so what happens here? God tells Noah, come out of the ark, bring all the animals and birds and every living thing. Uh, that's all he, God tells him to do. He doesn't say, and offer me X many uh, offerings. So Noah brings them out, everything, his family, all the animals. And then it says, verse 20, Noah built an altar to the Lord and taking some of all the clean animals and clean birds, he sacrificed burnt offerings on it. He kept offering one after another. And I want you to notice what God says in the next chapter. Um, Chapter 9, verse 1, 
Then God blessed Noah and his son, saying to them, Be fruitful and increase in number and fill the earth. The fear and dread of you will fall on all the beasts of the earth and all the birds in the sky and every creature that moves along the ground and all the fish in the sea. What brought that fear? Did God just suddenly inspire everybody to have fear? What made them afraid? Because he killed <laughs> Here these animals have been kept cooped up in, in, in a frightening situation, a very big trauma, uh, for many months. Brings them out. They're now set free. They finally can come out into the sunshine, which must have been terribly bright. <laughs> Contrasting being in, in the ark. They come out and... Some of their own kind start getting slaughtered, one after another. That's enough to inspire terror. Now, of course, the big animals that human beings might be afraid of, God may have inspired a little bit of fear in them because they weren't killed. Their kind weren't killed, like lions and wolves and what have you. But, but nonetheless, just seeing all the slaughter could have done that do you think God wanted all those sacrifices if, a, if God doesn't like violence why would he want more and more it's, uh, I, don't, I suppose that Noah is sacrificing all those animals for every sin they might have committed during the months they were in the ark that's a possibility uh, it's also a very strong possibility that he wanted to appease God whom he saw as angry because of what happened before. And you notice verse 21 of chapter 8. The Lord smelled the pleasing aroma. Some translations render that appeasing aroma, soothing aroma. And that's a term uh, that comes out of the belief in appeasement so it's possible that Noah was trying to appease God's wrath was God appeased look at verse 21 the rest of it was God appeased it's more like letting them let humans do what they want right in verse 21 mm-hmm. right and we're going to like curse the ground because of humans, even though they're evil, even though, mm-hmm. right? And, and notice the same wording is used as was used in chapter six. Even though every inclination, that's that formation of human heart, is evil from childhood. Why doesn't God say, "Never again will I curse the ground because of humans"? Um, let me let me give another way of translating this. Um, that is a way you can translate it but the usual way it's translated I will not curse the fertile land anymore because of human beings since the ideas of the human mind are evil from their youth since the reason God isn't going to curse the ground is not I smell this wonderful soothing savor and I'm appeased they, they finally shed some blood I mean, the, the earth has been destroyed because of bloodshed. And it hasn't been destroyed by bloodshed. It's been destroyed by water. Cleansing that, all that blood out of the soil 
and it and as you know I do not see God as being the ultimate one executing violence on in the flood I believe that was the natural consequences of the violence on the earth completely changing everything in nature uh, and and providing the turbulence that caused the flood and there's there's different ways uh, that can happen an earthquake causing the axis to tilt and severely could cause the flood um, I was taught that in physical geography in college um, many years ago so how I see this is God is saying here they go again doing more violence it's, it's I will not do this again I will not allow a flood because they're this way from their youth I will never again and he doesn't just limit it to the flood I will never again destroy every living thing as I have done remember that the language of the Bible is very deterministic reflecting human perceptions of God so what do we do with revenge and avenge and appease you see where it starts it starts with humans and the way they react to violence it does not start with God so the, the preferred divine voice the, the, pre, God, the, pre, the voice of God's preferred will is the voice of not appeasement not avenge, avenging I want to talk about those two terms together because I want to show you something. Um, what does it mean to avenge something? Anybody have a good definition for that? To get back. To get back, okay, pay back. Webster's Third New International Dictionary on a bridge says to take vengeance for or on behalf of oneself or another to exact satisfaction for a wrong by punishing the injurer. Avenge is very similar to revenge, to inflict harm or injury in return for as an injury or insult to exact satisfaction. There you have that satisfaction word again. Under the, for under the sense of injury. To avenge or seek vengeance for a wrong done to oneself or another. Avenge is a synonym of revenge. In a sense, it kind of goes along with the legal system that you've been talking about, um, the idea of justice and getting revenge. And getting back. Uh, the state is the, our avenger, right? Mm -hmm. For if, if, if I got raped, the state would be my avenger if they put the rapist in prison for a very long time. Uh, I, I, what would be an alternative to that? If the rapists were put in prison, not in revenge and retaliation, but simply to keep the public safe, that's the alternative. The, the, the sentence would be the same, right? But the motive would be to keep society safe as opposed to getting back at the person who did the rape. Um, and, and I would prefer, in addition to a prison sentence, a rehabilitation sentence where an uh, attempt was made to rehabilitate the person. And it might not work. And we recognize that. We retaliate to return like for. 
to repay or requite in kind as an injury. That's the eye for eye, tooth for tooth. Now, here's the word appease. And what I want you to do is think about what you've learned about avenge, retaliate, revenge, in terms of appeasement. Peace, to bring a state of peace or quiet, calm, settle, to cause to subside, allay, assuage, to bring a state of ease or content, conciliate, satisfy, to conciliate or buy off, pacify. Do you see any similarity between the words for retaliate, revenge, and avenge, and appeasement? Can you appease to avoid revenge? <laughs> okay, so, so appeasement is something you do to keep from being retaliated against. If God were to appease himself, what would that mean? What would that look like? See, there's, there's one prominent theologian who's uh, recently passed away in the last few years, uh, John Stott who believes that God in Christ appeased himself by the death of Jesus. How, what would that look like? Can you explain what appeasement Appeasement is to, do you know what it means to conciliate someone? Uh, it means to calm someone down who's angry, get them to stop being angry at you. It means to do something to help them uh, get past wanting to take revenge against you. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, means, it means to pacify, to assuage. Uh, all those are synonyms of appease. Mm-hmm. Okay. That help? Okay. So what would, what would God appeasing himself in Jesus on the cross, what would that look like? What was he really doing? How would he do that? See, until I did this study, I couldn't understand how that would work. It would imply that God needed to see blood for someone die to die. That he had to avenge himself. Mm -hmm. To appease yourself is to avenge yourself. But why would you appease yourself through killing your own son? That's a very good question. <laughs> like, why would anybody want to kill their own son? Would you say that in the microphone? <gasps> we're, be, we're being recorded. Okay, um, why would anybody want to kill their own son to appease themselves? Why would God want to do such an act? Do you get the question? Mm-hmm. Can anybody answer it? That's what I have a hard time wrapping my brain around. The only thing... I can think of in, in psychology, sometimes when someone is very angry, the psychologist will say, okay, take your anger out on something. I, I did that on my roommate one time. She came in from rac- playing racquetball. She was just steamed up. She was so mad at her partner because her partner had skunked her. And she was just furious, and she said, I'm, I, have to, I have to deal with this, and she came at me. Like she was going to start slugging me. And I. Physically? Yeah, physically. And so oh. I pulled back and I said, um, Why don't you punch out that pillow there? <laughs> <laughs> no, she says, No, I need blood. I need human blood. 
<laughs> and I, I was praying. Believe me. <laughs> she didn't do anything. But that's the picture. That's the picture, the only picture I get from the idea of God taking it out on his son and venting his wrath. But if his son's perfect, then... <laughs> Sorry, um, but if his son is perfect and he never did anything wrong to his father, why would a father get mad at his son? It's like a human being, like, usually... A human being would try to um, hurt their, or not hurt, but to, you would only take, you would only hurt your own son if you yourself are mentally not okay, like you yourself is not like in the right mind and time. What do you do with that? You see... So I'm not saying God is unperfect if that's what you're saying then. That God is perfect. I'm not, I'm not saying that. John Stott is saying that. Oh, okay. <laughs> uh, this, is, this is the problem, is it not? It is to take it out. What I think John Stott would say, well, that just shows how much God hates sin that he would take it out and how much he loves us that he would take it out on his son. Um to satisfy his wrath. Do you like that explanation? Um, Personally, I think God is love and would only do that because out of his own heart, that was like the only way to, to save humankind is by giving up his own And you see where I have to go with God. First of all, I don't believe God killed his son. Yeah. I believe he left him to the consequences of sin. Sin took his life. But even so, the way, reason for doing that would have to be to demonstrate the nature and consequences of sin, not to vent his spleen. I, what I'm trying to suggest here is that appeasement is rooted in retaliation and revenge and avenging. That's what it's rooted in. And that we invented it in our sinful state. Not God. That's what I'm trying to establish here. And that's why God responds to Noah's offering of appeasement with their inclinations are evil from their youth. They can't see it. They can't see that violence is what I hate. We have a few minutes. Let's do another handout. Because as we move on in the story, um, I have on here, on this handout, um, Genesis 8, 20 to 22. I'm sorry, not Genesis 8, 20 to 22. Genesis 13, 2 to 4. Abram builds altars wherever he goes. Burnt offerings became very common. Now, I believe God initiated the offering. Okay. But very quickly, human beings came to see because they wanted revenge and because they wanted avengement and they assumed that God wanted it too uh, let's move now we're going to really shift gears and do what we normally would have done today anyway hopefully I have enough of these this for you those of you who have taken books of Moses this is a rerun turn to Genesis 22 what ultimately happens is that ancient worshipers in their fear of God 
and thinking of him as needing something to avenge his, uh, their sin and to appease his wrath. Come to see that it isn't just what I offer. I, you know, just offering a lamb maybe is not enough. Maybe he wants many lambs. Maybe many lambs is not enough. Maybe it's not. Maybe it's not the right animal. Maybe a bull, a more expensive animal, something that really costs me something. So let's offer a bull. Well, maybe he needs many bulls. Well, maybe it's not a bull. Maybe it's something that really costs me a lot. Maybe it's my firstborn son. And so human sacrifice, child sacrifice, became uh, done in the ancient Near East. And so we have the story in Genesis 22 of this incredible command of God. Take now your son, your only son, Isaac, whom you love, and go to the land of Moriah and offer him as a burned offering. How could God ask Abraham to do that? This has troubled uh, Jews and Christians alike very much well if you understand that the ancient Near East uh, steeped in child sacrifice they did it whenever there was a a dramatic event coming on or or something happening that uh, gods needed to be appeased such as a good example is uh, seafarers on the Mediterranean when a storm would come up and they were afraid they would never get home alive they would make a vow to their gods to, as soon as they got back alive they would offer their firstborn son uh, as a child sacrifice so that being the case Abraham's used to this it doesn't seem to him so immorally repugnant and so his concern is this is the child of the promise you promised that in, in him I would become the father of a great multitude how can that happen if I offer him what I would like to suggest to you is that this story is in two parts. And it's by understanding those two parts that we can understand best what God is really doing in this story. So, um, I'm going to assume you know this story. Um, we're not going to take the time to read it because that would put us, push us over time. But... Um, What's the first part? Who are, what are the elements? You have them right in front of you. Abraham, Isaac, the wood, the fire, the knife, the mountain, and the servants. What about the mule? The, the, donkey, the donkey doesn't go up the mountain, so I left him out. Oh, he doesn't go up the mountain. So, Isaac... Your son, your only son, whom you love. Uh, who is Isaac? Isaac is the son, and Abraham is the father. And it's very important to establish those roles because typologically, what does this refer to? What typologically I mean, this has something in the New Testament that it points to as significant. Jesus. It points Jesus. As, Isaac represents Jesus. God's only son, only begotten son, whom my beloved son and whom I'm well pleased. 
Abraham represents God the Father who gave his son who went up that mountain with him so to speak okay so we get to the top of the mountain Abraham raises well first he has to tell Isaac Isaac submits to it puts Isaac on the altar binds him and he raises the knife it's by the way it's a cleaver it's not a sacrificial knife it's a butcher knife he raises the knife now maybe that's what he used for sacrifice who knows but he raises the knife to bring it down on this juggler vein so that he bleeds to death that's how sacrificial animals die is it fast bleeding or is it like juggler veins bleed very fast very quickly uh, so he raises his, his hand with a knife in it to bring it down and an angel stops him with a voice angel of Yahweh this is now the beginning of part two and he says Abraham 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 said I'm here the messenger said do not lay your hand on the child do not do anything to him father do not lay your hand on your son do not do anything to him God the father will not lay his hand on his son will not do anything to him does that make sense these are the key lines that negate child sacrifice they also negate an atonement belief that God killed his son so Abraham looks up and he sees an animal a ram caught in the thicket by his horns why his horns he's unblemished you've been listening well in class Uh, and so he takes that in place of Isaac that's the substitute the ram is not the child of Abraham is it he's not the son of Abraham the ram represents the substitute represents Jesus as our substitute and what is the meaning of substitution there it's a revelation Jesus became our substitute to reveal that God will not kill us at the end that sin and only sin is what destroys us God is in the saving business not the destroying business sin is what destroys that's why Jesus had to die that's what this uh, view of atonement and the, the revelation it brings of substitution is all about any questions so was Jesus the uh, was Jesus the ram or was Jesus the son Isaac he was both God gave his son son up just as Abraham had to give up his son I mean he went through all that emotional cost but where the story ends for the first part first typology is when the angel says do not lay your hand father do not lay your hand on the son and do not do anything Isaac can also represent us human beings as being saved by Jesus Um, you could say that you could say that I think what actually happens is the typology simply ends and the ram takes on the, the representation of Jesus a lamb not a ram there, 
The typology works for even a bull, a male bull, a ram, a lamb, a ewe. Any, any sacrificial animal works as typology in those days. Any other questions? Okay. Uh, it's 2.14, 12.14, I should say. Uh, I think it's time for us to adjourn. So let's have a closing prayer. Father, we pray that as we grapple with salvation and atonement, we may not forget uh, these early stories and what they teach us about you, about revenge, about retaliation, appeasement, and what they teach us about violence. Help us to keep these in mind as we continue reading. In Jesus' name, amen.